So it was February in 1998. Uh, my wife and I had just returned from a trip to England, and we were at the uh, immigration spot just outside the passport control at O'Hare Airport, and we were just kind of just there, just gave her a hug and a kiss. We were kind of nervous, and, and I'll tell you why we were nervous. So about a month before, maybe a couple of months before, we'd met with a lawyer in Chicago. And the reason we met with this lawyer is because we were getting married in February, and the church I worked for at the time very graciously uh, agreed to help cover the costs of all the paperwork and all the legal counsel that I would need uh, to go from being just an Englishman who was here working on a, a temporary visa to actually being a green card holder and married to an American citizen. So we met with this lawyer, and we were going through all the details, and uh, we said, you know, when can we start filling out this paperwork? And he said, well, you can't fill it out until after you're married, because obviously you have to be married. And we said, well, we're getting married on a Saturday, and then, um, you know, obviously uh, Sunday, is we, we couldn't meet with you then. And then the Monday, we're actually flying out for our honeymoon. Uh, we're going back to England for a reception, then we're having a honeymoon in Europe, and then we'll come back, so maybe we could schedule a time to meet with you after. He goes, yeah, that'll be fine. He goes, let's, let's set it up. He goes, and, and hopefully, you know, you'll be fine getting back into the country. We're like, whoa, 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 what do you mean hopefully? He goes, well, your visa's still good. You know, you can, you can come in on that visa. Um, but there is a chance that, you know, if they find out that you're now married and you haven't filled out the paperwork, it could be a problem. I said, oh, you know, what, what kind of problem? Like, take a little bit longer to get through, you know, what? He's like, no, more like they send you back to England. <laughs> I'm like, what do you mean? Just like, you're a he goes, well, it would be months. It would be as long as it takes to fill out all the paperwork and get the green card sorted out. It's like, I'm not so sure about that. It's like, what other options do I have? He goes, you don't really have any. So hopefully they'll be okay. <laughs> so that was us coming back from England, stood in O'Hare, about to go through. I, was, I still had a legal visa. I wasn't sneaking into the country, okay? My visa was still good. It's just I happen to be married now. And uh, I remember we just kind of gave each other a hug. This may be the last we see each other, I've seen each other for months. But we, uh, we went through absolutely fine. No problems at all. Got the paperwork filled out for the green card. A few months later, that came through. Um, after three or four years of being married, we actually fell in love as well. So that was good. It was more than just. <laughs> more than just the green card. So it's just it's a great story all around. You know, we just, everything worked out really, really well. But I tell that story because that same lawyer who was uh, an incredibly um, sophisticated Chicago, city of Chicago, downtown lawyer. I mean, this is what he did for a living. Uh, I remember not only him talking about the green card, but when we were filling out the paperwork, he said to me, okay, I'm gonna need to know what your salary is. And I told him, he said, Sorry, tell me that again. And I told him, he's like, that's it? I said, yeah, I work for a church. That's, that's it. He's like, do you realize you are below the poverty line? I said, oh, I didn't, but thanks for telling me. <laughs> I feel great now. He goes, I mean, not just below, you're way below the poverty line. He's like, how do you survive? I was like, well, I'm getting by okay. And I was, I was, I was living okay. And obviously this is a guy whose suit and watch probably cost more than I was earning in a six month period. So to him, he'd never seen that few numbers together on a piece of paper. So uh, he was kind of shocked. But for me, it was, I was okay. We were paying the bills. I, I enjoyed my life. And we're in this series which is called In Margin. I'm actually going to finish the series this morning by talking about one area of our life that we haven't talked about yet when it comes to margin, and that's our finances. 
Because I think if we were all honest with ourselves this morning, we would all say that um, if wisdom were to prevail, it would be good to have a little bit of a margin, a little bit of a gap in the area of our finances. Now, some of you here this morning might say, well, Dave, I've already got a gap. There's how much I earn and there's how much I spend. And the gap is a lot bigger, you know, and I'd like to kind of change that to where they at least balance out. I'm not talking about that gap. I'm talking about a gap the other way to where we earn so much and we don't spend all of it. We create a margin for, for savings, for emergency funds, for things like that. So because our finances, if, if we're caught in that trap where we're living paycheck to paycheck, it can fill us with anxiety and stress. It can cause conflict and problems in our relationships, all because we're living to the very edge of our finances. Do you know what I found out this week when I was preparing for this message? I came across this survey just this week. It's amazing when you're talking about a subject and suddenly you these things, and it was just in the news this week. It was a, a survey that was done by an organization called Bankrate, and uh, they did this survey uh, in January. They do it every year, and one of the key findings this year of their survey was that four out of 10 Americans, 41% to be exact, if they came across an unexpected expense of $1,000 or more, they would have to borrow the money. Four out of 10 Americans, 41% Americans, weren't in a place financially where if they came across an unexpected expense of $1,000 or more, they wouldn't be able to handle it. So what I interpret that as, that's, that's, there's four out of 10 Americans who currently are driving cars that are making a strange noise and just hoping and praying that it's not too bad. Or I've got a toothache that just doesn't seem to be going away, but they refuse to go to the dentist because they're worried about what the cost may be. There's a washing machine that's making a strange clunking noise, and we're just hoping and praying that it just lasts a little bit longer. Because if it goes out, I don't have the margin right now. I don't have that space in my life to deal with this unexpected expense. See, what I've come to learn in my life as I've got older it's when that guy told me that I was living below the poverty line. Maybe he assumed that, you know, my dream was that one day I would, uh, you know, grow in my job or my career, whatever it may be, my salary to where finally I'd get above the poverty line and then I'd reach this place where I'm, you know, in a very good place financially. I can afford to buy a nice house, four bedrooms, three car garage, you know, whatever the, the American dream looks like for you. And, and that's what would bring success. But the reality is, and here's what I've learned. I don't think it matters where we find ourselves, below, at, or above the poverty line. If we're honest, I would say most of our struggles, most of our financial problems don't come with how little or how much we earn. It's how little of a margin we create in our lives with what we do earn. How little of a margin there is in place. That's, that's the question I want to answer this morning. Do I have a financial margin? Do I have a financial margin in my life? As we close out this series when we've been looking at relational margins and the work balance life creating that margin, I think it's a really important subject. And we're going to find out here shortly. It's a subject that Jesus himself even talked about. Do I have that margin? Do I have that gap? In fact, there are two questions I really want to kind of look at this morning. If you're here this morning and you're living to the very edge, there's no margin, maybe you're over the edge. The first question I'd love to answer this morning is, how do we get ourselves into this mess? 
how did we get, how do we find ourselves in this place? And then the second question that kind of follows on logically, how can we create some margin to resolve it? How did I find myself in the mess that I'm in, and how can I create some margin to resolve it? So as I said, it's amazing because Jesus talked about this very subject, because this isn't new. This isn't a 2020 problem. This is a lifetime problem. So Jesus was addressing this 2,000 years ago. When he walked on earth, he was talking about this very subject. So this morning, if you're here and you're visiting, this, maybe you're new to Connect, you might say this morning, well, I'm not yet a follower of Jesus. I'm not sure if I believe this. You know, I'm just kind of checking things out. The good thing is you're going to get to hear what Jesus taught on this subject, and you can choose whether you want to follow his advice or not. But if you're here this morning and you are a follower of Jesus, if you've made that decision and said, Jesus, I want to follow you, I want to make you the Lord of my life, then what you're going to hear this morning, this isn't Jesus just suggesting something, hey, you could try this. Jesus actually has some, some pretty strong teaching on this subject. Strong teaching that he's, he's going to say, as a follower of me, if you are truly my follower, you will live out what I'm teaching. And you'll find that actually it will lead to a great life. It'll really help you in this area, but you've got to be willing to step out and follow me. So he talks about it in one of the accounts of Jesus' life, as given to us by Matthew. So we're going to look at that, that portion there. Matthew tells about this in Matthew chapter 6, verse 24. The verse will be up on the screen if you've got a Bible with you or the app on your phone. You can look there. But Matthew chapter 6, verse 24 says, No one can serve two masters. For you will hate one and love the other. You'll be devoted to one and you'll despise the other. Now, the English language doesn't help this verse much because we live in a, in a society where, where we could have many masters. You know, we could have our boss at work. We could have our boss's boss. You know, it is possible to have multiple masters in our life. But when Jesus was talking... He was talking in a culture where slavery still existed, where slaves were literally owned by someone. They were the property of the landowner or the, the rich person, whoever it might have been. So when he's talking about this and he says no one can serve two masters, the, the original Greek word, the word serve, it literally means to belong wholly and to be entirely under command of. To belong wholly to or be entirely under the command of. So Jesus is saying, hey, you can't belong wholly to or be entirely under the command of two people. It's just not possible. You either belong completely to this person or you belong completely to this person. You can't belong to both. So when Jesus says no one can serve two masters, all of the crowd straight away knew exactly what he meant because they understood what it looked like to be in a society where you served only one master. So he's saying no one can serve two masters. And when they get the idea, when they get the picture in their heads, when they get the analogy, he then unpacks it and says, here's what I mean by that. No one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one, despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. That's when Jesus kind of delivers the, the blow there at the end. He says, hey, you understand, right, what it means to look like, what it looks like um, to have two masters. That's, it's just not possible. Well, you cannot serve God 
and be enslaved to money. Only one person can own you. Either you own money or money owns you. That's what Jesus was saying. If you're following me this morning, if you've made a decision to follow me, to to follow God, to make him the Lord of your life, you can't serve him and be enslaved, have the master of money. Now, maybe you're sitting here this morning and thinking, actually, Dave, I'm, I'm going to be okay this morning because I understand what you're saying, but I'm doing okay in the area of money. I've got enough. My bills are being paid. I've even got a little bit extra at the end of the month. So that verse doesn't really apply to me. But it might. Because when Jesus says you cannot serve two masters, you cannot serve God and be enslaved to money, he wasn't saying that means you've got to be careful how much you spend. He's not saying you've got to be careful how you spend your money or what you're using it for. No, what Jesus is talking about here, when he's talking about two masters, he's saying there's a heart issue going on here. This is a matter of the heart. Money and what money promises is the number one competitor for my heart against God. That's kind of what Jesus is saying here. He's saying money and what money promises, that will always be the number one competitor for my heart against God. You cannot have two masters. You're going to have to choose. It's not about how you spend it, how much you spend. It's about the role that it has in your heart. So this morning, you may be living to the very edge and have no margin whatsoever, or you may be very wise and frugal with your finances, and you've got a little bit left over for savings. And, but still, Jesus would say to you this morning, as a follower, is this an area of your life that you've submitted to me? Do you see me as your master, or are you, is, does money own you? Has it got hold of you? Let me give you a practical example here of um, what that might look like. Because you might think, well, I'm not sure if I, I do or not. So let me help you out here with a practical example. So in my opinion, um, we can all put ourselves in one of two categories. Okay? The first is a, a consumer. Okay? Now, these are words I've come up with, a consumer. This is the person who likes to spend. Okay? You just love spending money. Hey, if I've got it, I'm spending it. I'm out there looking for the sales, and right now there are spouses kind of elbowing, saying, that's you, that's you, you're the spender, okay? So, so there's, there's the consumer. You love to spend money. Now, you may not be like that. This morning, you may be more of a saver, okay? So you may like to save money. I'm going to call the savers a hoarder, okay? Because you like to hold on to money. You like to make sure that you've got enough. So, so you don't like spending money because you want to save money just in case. And, and what normally happens is, is we find ourselves in one of these two categories. And the fun thing is, very often we get married and we're in the opposite categories. That makes for a great, fun married life when one's a saver and one's a spender, One's a consumer and one's a hoarder. Now, I'm going to be a little bit transparent with you here this morning. I'm going to be a little bit honest with you. Um, I'm a saver. I'm a hoarder. Okay, I'm always looking out for the best deal. I'm always trying to save some money. I don't want to spend frivolously. So I'm a saver. I'm a hoarder to the extreme. 
I'll give you an example. Last year, I got to go to a conference down in San Antonio, Texas. It was for church planters, and uh, it was a great time together. We were together for three days, and we were in this hotel having all the meetings during the day. And it was a beautiful hotel, downtown San Antonio, but it was one of those hotels that was geared more towards businessmen, so there was no free breakfast. So I wasn't happy, okay? I love a hotel with a free breakfast, all right? Not only was there no free breakfast, I go in and I find out that they do actually have a restaurant that serves breakfast, and it's $15.99. I'm like, $15.99? I don't spend that on dinner. I'm not going to spend that on breakfast. So I'm not happy about this because I'm doing the math, and that's just one day. I mean, times three, that's, that's a lot of money to spend on breakfast. So I get on Google Maps, and I find out that a couple of blocks down the street, there's a Walgreens. So I'm off to Walgreens. I get down there. I'm up and down the aisles. I find that they sell those individual kind of cups of cereal. You know, the ones you can pull. So, so I buy three of them. Three days, three breakfasts, three boxes of cereal, half a gallon of milk. Goes back to my room in the hotel fridge, $7.99. So I've got three days of breakfast for $7.99. I'm feeling pretty good right now because I'm a saver. I'm a hoarder. The next morning, I go out to breakfast, and one of my friends there, he's a pastor of a church in another part of the country, and we're chatting, and he said, did you grab breakfast yet? We're going to grab some. I was like, oh, I'm fine. And I'm excited to tell him the good news. I'm like, oh, no, <laughs> wait till you hear. I went to Walgreens last night, and I tell him the whole story. He's just looking at me with this weird look. He's like, why? He goes, why not just get breakfast here? I was like, well, you know, it's kind of expensive. He goes, oh, you and me, we're so different. He says, when I go to the store, when I look along the aisle... If I'm going to buy something, I've never bought it before, and there's three different options, I look, and whichever one's the most expensive, I think to myself, well, it's got to be the most expensive for a reason, so I'm going to get that one. And I'm like, ah, oh. I mean, every hoarder bone in my body is just freaking out at this point, because this guy is a spender. I mean, he's a consumer. He's like, he doesn't even go online to do research. It's like, I'm buying the most expensive one. I'm literally the opposite. I'm in the store like trying to find out if I can price check this. Even though it's the cheapest, can I get it cheaper? Because they sell it at another store for 50 cents less. Now, here's the thing. We're giggling here, but some of us have related to one of those two people. We're the consumer, we're the hoarder, we're the spender, we're the saver. And what we tend to do, whichever one we are, we look at the other and think, well, they're the ones with the problem. They're the ones with the money problem. They're, either, they're spending it like they can't spend it quick enough. Obviously, they've got a problem. The spenders are looking at the savers saying, they're always holding on to it. They're never spending it. They've got the problem. But if you think about it, think about it this way. The consumer, you have unbridled spending. You just can't get enough. You just can't spend enough. The hoarder, you have unbridled fear. What if I don't have enough? And in actual fact, wherever you find yourself this morning, we're all in danger of being owned by money. Either by the way in which we spend it and we're out of control, or the way in which we're afraid that if we spend it, we'll be out of control. So both can still affect our hearts. Jesus is talking about um, you not being able to serve two masters. He's not saying, so, so those of you who are spending, you're doing it wrong. Or those of you who are saving and hoarding, you're doing it wrong. He's saying those of you that money has mastery over your life, money uh, has, has you gripped, you're the ones who are doing it wrong. He goes on a little bit later to unpack and give us some explanation to how we can give up this ownership, how we can allow or how we can stop um, money having that kind of control of our life. In verse 31, he says, don't worry about these things. 
saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? That's, that's all the things that you need money for, isn't it? What we eat, what we drink, what we wear. These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers, but your heavenly Father, he already knows all your needs. Jesus is saying, your heavenly Father, he loves you so much. If you're a follower of Jesus this morning, even if you're not a follower of Jesus this morning, let me tell you, your heavenly Father, he loves you so much. He wants to be a part of your life and every part of your life. He wants to be with you in the highs and he wants to be with you in the lows. He wants to be with you at church, but he wants to be with you at work as well. And he wants to be involved in your spiritual life, but he also wants to be involved in your practical life. He wants to help you find that place of not being afraid of what the future holds, especially when it comes to the cost of living or what I need to get by. He's saying your heavenly father loves you so much, he wants to be a part of your life. So the question is, are you going to allow him access to all of your life? Would you allow him to have access over your finances? Would you be willing to step and say, God, I'm, I want you to be the master. I don't want to serve two masters here. I can't serve two masters, so I want to step away from being, from, instead of me owning money, money owning me. I want to step into this place where, God, I'm following your plan for my life. Because think about it this way. Let's say you hit a financial road bump in your life. It could be your fault. It could be out of your control. Maybe you made a, uh, a bad decision with a purchase. You went against the advice of people, and now you're, you own a money pit, or you, you know, you've bought a car that keeps breaking down, and, and it's costing you some money. You went into business with someone who, in hindsight, you realize you probably shouldn't have gone into business with this person, and it's, it's cost you financially. So, so maybe you've made a, a bad decision, and you can see where you were at fault in this, and now it's cost you money as a result. Maybe the decision's out of your control altogether. It could be a sickness. It could be a downturn in the economy. It could be a, uh, an all number of things that are completely out of your control, but it's affected you financially. And now you're in a difficult place. What do you do? I would imagine that the answer most of us would give this morning is I say a prayer. Whether you're religious or not, you probably at that point say, God, I need your help. When you're driving to the bank to meet with that bank manager, you're, you're saying a little prayer under your breath. Please, God, let him be in a good mood today. Let this, let's, this month be a, let there be a special on this week. If you're the kind of person who, when you hit those roadblocks, those, those financial hurdles, you find yourself turning to God and saying, God, I want to invite you into my finances. I want to invite you into this area of my life. I need you to come into this area of my life to help me then I wonder, are you also the kind of person when things aren't going bad that you'd be willing to say, God, I still need your help. I still would like to invite you to be a part of my life. I still want you to be involved in my decisions when it comes to what I spend, what I save, how I live my life. God, I need your help in that area of my life. Because God, if I'm completely honest with myself, right now, I'm living so far to the edge that there is no margin there whatsoever. It's creating stress. It's creating anxiety. It's creating arguments in the family. God, I, I need your help to build some margin into my life in the area of finances to take away the anxiety, to take away the fear. Because God... 
I don't even have to ask this hope and you'll answer. Jesus is telling me that as my heavenly father, you care about me. That I shouldn't have to worry about what I will eat, what I will wear, what I will, um, what I will get. That you want to provide for me. So how can we create some margin in our lives to resolve this issue? How can we create some margin? So I've got these buckets here on the stage that you've probably been looking at, wondering about what these buckets are. And I want to use these as an illustration this morning to help you understand uh, maybe a practical way that we can create some margin in our lives. And I believe that even though this is a really practical example I'm going to give, it, it's built upon a spiritual principle that we're going to look at in this very passage that Jesus was teaching on. So these three buckets, they are uh, all labeled. One says live, one says save, one says give. So if you're looking at the stage or if you're looking at the screens, you'll see it says live, save, give. Okay, this, this represents you. This represents your money uh, for any given period of time. So live, this is everything from your mortgage payment right through to uh, what you're going to spend at lunch today when you go out after church. Save, this represents your, uh, your rainy day funds, your emergency funds, maybe your, your kids' college funds, you know, the money you're setting aside to hopefully pay for those, some of those unexpected expenses that just crop up or, or maybe future savings. And then give. Give represents any kind of charitable giving that you may uh, do in your life. So that could be giving here at church. If you're a member of Connect, I know many people here have chosen to give to Connect, and we are super appreciative of your support in our ministries. We couldn't do what we do without that. Some of you give to fundraisers at school. Some of you give to wonderful organizations like St. Jude and this kind of thing. And, and you just know that that's a part of your life that you want to be able to, to do. But here's the challenge, and this comes down to um, a mastering situation. Who's the master here? Is God the master or is money the master? For many of us, this is what an average month looks like for us. So I've got 10 $1 bills here. This represents um, your, your income for the month, okay? So as the month goes on, we get one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. So we get down to nine, and we, we've spent about 90% of our money for the month. And we get towards the end of the month, and we, we had every intention of saving some and, and even giving some, but, but because of all the expenses, and I have no idea where it all went, but somehow I've spent all this money this month and it's, it's disappeared in this bucket and now we've got just a few few days left before we're going to get paid and I, I'm, I'm not sure which bucket I should put it in and maybe I could put 50 cents in one and 50 in the other but then suddenly we hear about a sale going on it's half price I've just it's, it's half price 50% off it was two now it's only going to cost me one I mean I've got one already and it works just fine but this new one the 2.0 it's on sale I can't turn that down. It's half of what it would normally cost. But it's still going to cost you all of this. But half of what it would have cost. I'm going <laughs> to... And we get to the end of the month, and yet again, even though we had every intention of putting something in the save bucket, and every intention of putting something in the give bucket, life happened. And it all disappeared. That's, that's one problem we run into sometimes. Another problem that some of us run into is each month we get through one, two, three. Well, we get through 10 pretty quickly. And then we're talking to our friends at Discover and we're like, hey, could I just get another couple? Just, just. So we get 10, but we're living on 12. And you can see where that could kind of become a, a little bit of a problem over time. 
So I want to suggest something here this morning. I do think this is supported in the Bible. Because I think when you live like this, when your buckets look like this, this is a great example of what it looks like to be mastered by money. This is what Jesus was talking about when he said, you can't serve two masters. If this morning you've made a choice, or even if you haven't made a choice, but you find yourself there serving money, you must, this is what it looks like. I think Jesus, the example he would give here, the practical application is said, we need to change the order of our buckets. I know that sounds simple and maybe it's oversimplified, but let me, uh, let me explain that a little bit more. Especially this morning here, if you are a follower of Jesus, this is a great practice to put in place. To say, I'm going to make a decision to, to give, to save, and then to live on the rest. To give, to save, to live on the rest. Now let me explain that a little more, because already I feel like some of you are like, oh, I'm not sure about this, I don't I heard a financial advisor use this, this phrase once. He said, um, uh, let me see if I can find it in my notes here. Uh, I'm not going to find it in my notes. But he said, um, why is it that we, we all feel that we have to live, spend all the way down to zero? It's like this, this thought we've got that we've got to spend all the way down to zero. We've got to spend it all every time. But what if we were to get disciplined and say, okay, I'm going to learn to try and live on a little bit less every month. And I'm going to try and get some discipline in my life to, to give first, then save, then live. So let me talk real quickly about um, what that looks like here. So obviously I've used dollar bills here, but they could be percentages. And you may have even heard some, some people talk about this. If you've ever done a financial peace class, Dave Ramsey is a big advocate about this. He says, live on, uh, give 10, save 10, live on 80. That's his, his advice here on, on um, wise financial living. So what if we budgeted to give 10%? Let me talk a bit more about this. So financial experts, they talk about the benefits of giving. There are tax benefits. I think our society as a whole is a better place if we as people make a decision to, to be involved in charitable giving, whether that's to a church or to an organization, a tsunami relief, a St. Jude run, those kind of things. They make a huge difference. And I know every one of us wants to make a difference in that way, but sometimes we find we can't because we get to the end of the month and it's all gone. So just by reversing our priorities, we can actually live that, that desire that we have to want to be able to give. Now, I want to just say something here as the pastor of the church, okay, because you may have heard this phrase before, tithing. We don't really use that phrase much here at Connect. Um, tithing is, a, is an Old Testament word, and it's because it was talked about a lot in the Old Testament that the Jews under the Mosaic law, they were required to give 10% of everything they had to support the priests, now, I as a pastor have a little bit of a, a problem with that because I think there are, there are two, two areas of concern when it comes to us today in the church since, since Jesus came and, and lived and died. So the first problem is that it creates this idea that um, we, we should give 10% to the church. And the challenge with that is if you don't give any, if you're a new follower of Jesus and you learn this for the first time, you can feel like, man, there's no way I can give that much. I can't go from giving nothing to suddenly giving 10% of everything I get. So because that's too hard, I'm not even going to try. So we talk more here about generosity than we do about tithing. Maybe it's taking a step of faith and just giving a little. Maybe it's taking a step of faith and giving a little bit more. 
But there is a plan in place where I'm going to say, um, as a follower of Jesus, I want to give to my local church, support what they're doing. I want to give to this organization. I want to give to this charity. But I'm going to set some, some money aside and, and make that goal. And I want to be generous there. The other challenge with tithing is if you've been a follower of Jesus for a long time and you've reached that point, you kind of level off. You say, hey, God, I'm giving 10%. That's what you want. That's what I'm giving. I actually, just recently, in the last couple of years, I was preparing for a message on this very subject. And as I was thinking about this idea, God challenged me. Because for many years, that was the goal that our family had set. So we were giving 10%. And God, God said to me, when was the last time you stretched yourself to give more. So we actually made a change in our life and we, we made a decision to give more than that because I felt like I'd limited what God could do in my life by stopping at that number. Now, having said that, for some people it helps to have that number. We as a church, we as a church actually set aside 10% of everything we get during the year in our offering and we've made a decision that we want to use that outside of Connect. So 10% of the money that you put in the offering every Sunday, that gets set aside. We don't spend that here locally. We don't spend that to pay for the lights. We don't spend that on salaries. We spend that to help plant other churches around the world. Whether it's here in the United States or overseas in, in Ecuador. Since we launched in 2013, we've been able to, to build four churches in Ecuador. It's been incredible. And we couldn't have done that without your giving and without our decision very early on, say, we're going to set aside 10% and that's what we're going to give. Now, here's the great thing. We give more than that. We just know that we're never going to go below 10%. But we've had times during the year where people have come to us and uh, we had a young lady who came here recently and she spoke. She's from New York City and she was just, it was great seeing what she was doing. She grew up in Taft homes and, and we just felt as a leadership team, we need to bless this girl, we need to help her. She's, she's really struggling to make ends meet as she's serving Jesus out there in New York City. So we gave her some money. That came out of our, uh, the money that you give in offerings and it was over and above that 10% because we want to be generous with what God gives us. So that's the give. When it comes to saving in our lives, that's a great discipline to get into. To put some aside each month for saving. Do you know, we've done that here at Connect as well. We've got some great people on our management team, our leadership team. One's a, a bank manager. One works an accountant at Caterpillar. One's really cheap and a hoarder. So, um, so as a result, we're really careful. We really take care with the money that you give to Connect every week. And what that's meant is over the years, we've been able to save some. We've been able to create a margin there and not spend everything that's come in. So about a year and a half ago, two years ago, this building came up for sale. We've been meeting in middle school for six years, and, and this seemed like the perfect opportunity. So we approached the guys who own this building and asked how much they wanted for it. They gave us a price, and we were able to put 25% down to buy this building because we had money that we'd saved. We couldn't have done that if we spent every penny we got in. This year, God is kind of stretching our faith a little bit as a leadership team. Since moving into the building, we've grown in attendance. Uh, we're adding some staff. We're finding that just the cost of owning the building is, is going to cost us a little bit more. So we're going to be stretched a bit financially this year. But because we've got some money that we have in savings, we go into it trusting God and knowing that we have that margin in place. And it's great to be able to lead a church knowing that that margin is there. 
So I know that's a challenge for many of us to hear this morning. But this is what it looks like to be master of your money instead of to be mastered by money. Because you're following this advice that Jesus gave to create some space, to create some margin in your life. Do you know the last part of that verse? Listen to what he said. He said in verse, 33, or verse 31 through 33, so don't worry about these things, saying what will we eat, what will we drink, what will we wear. These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. But your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. That's the key right there. That's why I think this works. Because this represents a lifestyle that is saying, I want to seek the kingdom of God first. I want to put, put others first. I don't want to live for me first. I want to live for others first. When it comes to our money, live, that, that helps me. Save, that, that helps me. Give, that helps others. When I reverse these buckets, I'm starting by saying, as a follower of Jesus, I want to live for others. I want to seek God first. I want to build his kingdom first. I want to put him first in my life. And by doing that, I believe that he will then help me in the other areas of my life. So here's what I want to do to close out this morning. We've done this the last couple of weeks. Um, There are some note cards on your seat. If you've still got your note card from last week or the week before, we're going to take just a minute or two here. And we've been doing this thing where we've just written the word margin on our note cards and tried to set ourselves some practical goals. And and I want you to do that this morning. Maybe this morning will be something as simple as I I need to reverse my buckets. Or I need to start working on a budget. Or I need to reach out for help. I need to ask someone who's, who's wiser than me, who's, who's better with money than me. I need to ask them for help because I keep trying. But every month, I've got the best intentions of the world, but this bucket gets filled and then there's nothing left for these. So as Justin just plays here, as the band played a little bit, just let's take a minute or two and write some, some thoughts down there. And the reason I want you to write it down is because if you're anything like me, I can sit here and I can listen and I can think, that's, that's something I want to do. But you know what? I leave and I have lunch and I have a nap in the afternoon and then I go to work tomorrow. And before you know it, Sunday's gone. But I'm hoping and praying that some of you will put this note card on your desk by your bedside table. And it'll be a reminder, what can I do? God, how can you practically help me this week to live out the idea of creating margin in my life.